Oh, and welcome to last week in localization. Uh, this is a new show that we're doing where we bring you the latest from the world of localization, uh, the latest news, research, and events in a fun format where I, Sarah Hickey, your host, I go live every Monday at this time. So that is six in the evening if you're in Central Europe somewhere or nine in the morning if you're on the West Coast of the United States. And I will always have a lovely guest with me, usually one of my Nimsy colleagues, for example. Here with me today, I have uh, Gabriel, our Chief Operating Officer. Say hi, Gabe. Hi, everyone. It's super exciting to be here. Uh, we're breaking new ground kind of right with these um, multi-platform live streams. So it's super, super exciting to be here. Yeah. Breaking the ground there for us. Um, he's actually running the show in the background right now. Hello. Um, and <laughs> yes, there's I'm keeping Tucker an eye on you. Running everything. Um, I talked over you, Tucker. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, and so um, this is a new thing uh, where I will be the host. And But yeah, I don't want to focus on myself too much um, because that's why I have guests. Um, but just a brief introduction to NIMSI in case you are not from the localization industry or maybe you even are, but you still have never heard of NIMSI. Um, we are a market research and consulting company uh, largely focused on the language industry, but not exclusively. Uh, we do anything that has to do somewhat with um, language services, cultural um, consultations, and any kind of needs in that area. We do M&A uh, advisory as well. Um, so yeah, any of your research and insights needs really in this field. Okay, and um, today, uh, to kick things off, um, we want to address a really central question, and that is, is English enough? So, Gabe, is it? Oh, it's a, it's a, a difficult question, and, and one that I fundamentally think there's no right or wrong answer to. Really. Um, the kind of blanket answer is, uh, it's, it's really going to depend on what your company does, what are your audiences, where you already are, as opposed to where you want to go. Um, don't let that fool you, though. Um, language professionals, they are here for a reason. And that is because people want to access the, the products and services in their own native language. And that's why we have the data to support it. Um, and the data points in that direction, but there's more to it, I feel, than just saying yes or no. Um, is it enough? Yes. Uh, and I was just going to ask you, uh, and of course, I know the question, the answer to this question is uh, if you have any data to back this up before we go into um, understanding the context of uh, 21 and why this is particularly relevant right now. But um, just do you have any, um, I know you have some broader data on why English is not enough. Just uh, hit us with a few of those. Right, uh, for sure. We we have a we have a couple of those key takeaways from from one of our studies that that we did, and and actually multiple ones over time that we've done at NIMSI. And and one of the ones we like to use the most is that nine users out of ten, so that is nine users out of ten, will ignore a product if it's not in their native language. And 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 to me that that paints a pretty pretty convincing. Um, picture of where 
user preference, preferences are. But then, then there's another one in case you're still not convinced, and that is um, a little over 70% of uh, users, and we're talking individuals like you and I, right? Who, if you're given a choice and you're on a website or uh, you're, you know, you're watching Netflix and you're picking what subtitle you you, you put on, is you you select the one in your native language as opposed to in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a quite two pretty pretty convincing arguments right there, I would say. Yeah, that's a really um, huge figure. I mean, nine out of ten, that's um, almost everyone, really, I could say. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's maybe maybe to most professionals in our industry, in the localization industry, this shouldn't be too surprising. But even there, occasionally, I guess you find... Uh, uh, We know that, but even for the ones who do speak English, why is it still not enough then to just offer your product or service in English? Right. I, I would say, and, and to that, something that comes to mind is that different companies, uh, they are at different stages of their life, right? They're just entering the market, uh, startup just uh, breaking ground with something innovative or putting a solution out there that's super new and interesting. And so there are new companies coming to the market that do not necessarily have this mindset of going global yet. Um, so they're not at that stage where they're asking the question, like, should we go with multiple languages? So on one hand, you have the companies. On the other, you have you have the users. So there's a bunch of us already who are, and practically the language of the internet is English, right? So we're used to engaging with content in English. But imagine there's hundreds of millions of people who are yet to access the internet um, and they for them you know they don't they do, do not come in pre-formatted understanding like okay i'm gonna watch something in english their reflex is i want to do it in my native language so it's a it's a combination of two these two forces like the new companies coming to the fore and starting to expand or think about expanding but also the people who are there's more and more people who want to consume the content, really. So this is why it's, I, I feel like kind of, and now we're talking really about the context here, right, of what is happening in the, let's say, wider business world and these interactions between companies and, and consumers. But I would, I would take that as a starting point, that there are those who think, well, English is enough, but your customers think differently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Spend some time thinking about this. <laughs> um, so um, maybe um, we can pull up that slide we just had about understanding the context of 21. So why is it particularly relevant now to talk about this? Yeah, exactly. And and this is on the back of uh, of a presentation I, I did last last week at a conference. And it, I, you know, I, I'd like to say that. This is not a new question. This is a question that companies have been asking way before in 2020 and for for decades practically, right? Uh, so it's not necessarily a new problem, but what makes the the 
it's a little bit different and the way you tackle this is the context where we are at right now in, in 2021 and you know we've all been there talking about the, the effects of the pandemic but it has it has had an effect on how we as users and individuals we engage with brands we engage with content so you know, one of the first ones right there is this uh, with everyone being on lockdowns at home started last year we all started uh, you know getting subscriptions for netflix um example right but there's this whole shift towards online and ordering takeaway or takeout in your mobile app and all these examples of things we used to do live now do, do we're doing them online mm -hmm. so that is that is one of the first ones um, super quick question um, because I saw there in the comments that Tucker just pulled up uh, that some people can't hear me. Um, I don't know. Is that can people hear me again? We can hear you. We can hear you now. Okay. Just get right up there in that microphone. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, Thanks. I'm still getting used to this new thing here. Um, so I apologize. And I have a tendency yeah. to move around when I talk. Uh, I'm going to try to do that less. Yeah. And thanks, guys, okay. in the chat. Um, don't 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 hesitate to let us know if we're screwing up over there in chat. Yeah, Keep that's us super helpful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's appreciated. Thank you. Um, yeah, okay. So, and yeah, it's true, Gabe. I mean, there's so much more happening online. We were always, all of us were already online, right? And so much was happening there. But in the last year, um, e-commerce experienced such a boost. Like, it was... Uh, just ridiculous. The, what was it? I think the US e-commerce uh, market had 10 years worth of growth in just three months. And so it basically broke all records and just exploded. And even if we all look at our personal lives, I mean, for me, I, um, I've just been ordering so much more online because uh, I, I moved country. I have a little human being here at home now that needs to be closed. And well, all the stores are, are clo uh, closed, right? So of course I, I, ha I need those things and um, they need to get to my house somehow. So of course I order online and I've, I've never ordered more online than in the last year. And I'm just like one little person here. So I, I can, I, I, this is something, and this is something that I love that when sometimes you know, sometimes we talk about the translation industry in the local. And then everyone can kind of see like, oh, yeah, this is happening. And of course, I do have my app in my language. Like for me, um, a sign always that something is becoming a lot more mainstream when literally everyone you know is experiencing this as well, right? And it's not just in our little universe anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Like there, it's a thing. Like we take language for granted, don't we? Like the availability of all these services, of all these products, and and that's I feel. And and something I wanted to touch on a little bit later is uh, how. It, the industry is coming out of the shadows in a way, and and at the same time, the professionals in it, they they still have the the, the needs and and they feel they need to justify their existence. That's something I, I like mm -hmm. to keep coming back to a lot. And having experienced this as a salesperson in the industry uh, a number of years ago, uh, there's always this. You always find clients who just think, well, English is good enough. Like, why are you even? You know, what is it? What is it that you're selling to me? 
so there's this this still it's a it's a topic that is that is relevant especially because there's always these companies that have this mindset and you want to convert them to the cause like yeah it's it's just a no-brainer to have to have content in in various languages it won't be applicable for everyone but especially as we've talked about like this shift towards online and we're spending so much time on our devices and and that's another another point another trend that is happening is a lot of the a lot of the content a lot of the interactions with brands are are more and more mobile so people spending more time on their mobile devices and one of the reasons for that is um, uh, and especially in some parts of the world mobile connectivity is cheaper than the internet so you have places like africa or asia where you have just so many people connecting and they will want to consume the content so that is one of also one of the trends that is that we see happening yeah and again this is something else i just relating this back to myself again but uh, still i mostly buy things on apps on my phone <laughs> it's because right. it's just so much more convenient than having to go to your computer you know and uh, yeah who does that anymore <laughs> really? yeah boot, booting up your computer and, and and all of that right and and that's something we've seen one of our one of the data points we had in in, in the main study we're using for this is uh, when uh, when buying on the internet uh, already people are spending more time on their mobile devices as opposed to their desktops mm-hmm. so yeah i mean even if even if people like shopping in in brick and mortar shops and and we had a chat about this the other day right uh, mm-hmm. uh, and some those people who prefer that will get back to buying in shops as uh, you know covid restrictions start to lift but the e-commerce is here to stay for sure yeah, especially if you think about, you know, because of the pandemic, so many more of the tradition. Once everything <laughs> reopens again, right? So that would be, uh, that would make no sense. So even, yeah, if of, I also personally look forward to going to a store again, but it doesn't mean I won't buy online anymore. So, um, and this is something I think we've seen in a lot of cases in the market, not just with e-commerce now, but um, that basically the pandemic has had, I think has had an effect that it can expand our market as well. So last week I talked to Tucker about uh, interpreting where some people had to offer adjacent services. Um, so not just interpreting, but maybe um, it was then captioning and document translation for conferences. Well, like after the pandemic, they're not going to get rid of this new service line now. So now they have interpreting services and those services. So maybe, um, and this is something I, I like uh, to see because even though the pandemic has been well horrible from a human level and challenging mm-hmm. from a business perspective, um, hopefully we're going to come out stronger business-wise uh, for the for the market. Um, yeah, we got some nice comments there, Tucker. Can you show those again? We do. I've just been trying to fix your audio. Sorry, that is completely oh, on okay. me, guys. But let me read through the comments here for you because mm-hmm. it's hard to get them all up on screen here. Um, and thank you, everybody, who's been commenting on the quality of the audio. Um, Adi, over from Ghana. Um, hi, Adi. Long time no, no talk. We need to sync up. Anyways, thanks for these insights, Gabriel. Also, deciding whether or not to use only English could depend on the capacity and growth stage of an organization. 
I noticed some organizations try to use other languages while they aren't prepared enough or maybe willing to invest adequately, and it leads to poor outcomes. Thank you, Adi. I'm not, I'm not sure how that requires if that requires a response, and I'm sorry, I've got a parakeet here that is making a guest appearance. Um, Natalia Pita Alvarez, I think there's trouble when you change the view. Oh, yeah, well, got it. Thank you, Natalia. That comment was actually very helpful. And um, last but not least here... What does this say? Michael Reed. Oh, Michael. English is definitely not enough and not just for the reasons of sales, but most importantly, uh, for reasons of respect. Only 20% of the world has any English ability at all, and assuming that English can or should be a linguistic panacea isn't just incredibly problematic in terms of people's rights to their language. It's problematic in terms of reality and linguistic inclusion. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Michael. All right. Yes, absolutely. Um and I think something that we keep forgetting as well is, and um, like, I liked what you said, Gabe, earlier, that we take uh, language for granted, right? We, that it's just there, available for us. And it's really only when it's not there that you realize that something is, is missing, that there maybe should be a translation or an interpretation yeah, yeah. Or, or something like that. If it's not there or if it's, if there's something wrong with it, right? Like uh, yeah. we, we keep talking to all of these professionals from different corners of the industry. And uh, when everything goes smooth, uh, no one, no one says anything about, uh, you know, language about localization because no one notices it if it's done correctly, but then the mistake comes up and oh boy, those can be nasty. So. Exactly, right? I mean, a translation should never sound like a translation. That's the worst thing that can happen. Uh, it should sound like the original. Or like I'm a trained uh, interpreter, and we were always told as well that, well, you only really get noticed as an interpreter if you make a mistake, which uh, sounds demotivating, but isn't really. I mean, you're basically doing a good job when uh, nobody is you know, paying particular attention to you when they're just receiving the interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to pick up on one of those comments that I liked very much uh, about uh, the maturity of the companies, right? And then them not being ready for including all of these languages and that leading to an inefficiencies or investment going out of the window. It's it's certainly true. And I, and I think that betrays something else where depending on the maturity of the company and where they are at, I think it needs to start with understanding what it is that they do and what is their strategic focus, because there's a lot of merit, and this kind of goes back to the overarching "is English enough?" question. Um, mm-hmm. And and maybe I, I would caveat Michael's uh, comment there that sometimes it's it is enough, and that depends on where your company is at. If you're servicing a monolingual English markets and your uh, your audience is white males, uh, then you know English speaking white males. Then maybe that's enough. But even in countries such as the United States, you have huge segments of the population who speak a language other than English, and they at least need to consider Spanish and then potentially Korean, Chinese, Japanese, right? Um, so uh, you need to understand who your target audience is. And what it is that you want to do? Maybe your company is perfectly fine with just conquering its domestic market, but even then, for the reasons I just mentioned, you should at least consider different language versions of the service you provide. Yeah, absolutely. And um, let's take another look at some of the other um, slides you brought with you, Gabe, and uh, because you have more data for us, no? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, let's talk about the underwear effect quickly. <laughs> yeah, like we've we've been talking about this for twenty now on twenty minutes, right? And and how language is personal. Like we don't think about it, right? We just we just we just act in in our language. We just think in our language. I, I'm I'm a bad example in this, in that um, I I tend to reason in in English and in a lot of the things that I do, or right. And but imagine situations where. Um, and I like this example is uh, when you hit your foot on the, you know, against the table leg, uh, what is the, in what language do you swear? What, what, what is it for you, Sarah? Do you swear in <laughs> uh, German? Or? I'm also, no, I'm a bad example too. I, okay. I do it in English because, but I lived in an English speaking country for nine years. So I've completely like it's inception here now for me, you know, yeah, um, and it's really nice to swear in English. So that's <laughs> why. <laughs> it, it rolls off your tongue, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, I mean, for others, it's it's you do it in your own own language. And I'll use a different example, which in in this case I use my native language, which is Slovak. When I'm doing mental math, and you know, I don't bust out a calculator. I'm I'm just doing the basic math in my in my own language. So yeah, that's the, the same for me. Math yeah. has to be in German. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So it, this is kind of maybe two different examples. There's many others, right? It's when you're performing some of these kind of natural things and doing your, you know, living your life, then it's the default mode for most of us. And the two of us are a bad example, right? But for most of us, we reason in our native language. And this is what, what we refer to as the underwear effects. And it's been a term coined by Nimzi's co-founder, Renato Benato, kind of explaining this logic of when we are at mode, our most private or most personal, so a hint, wearing nothing but our underwear, um, the decisions we make and when it comes to buying and because we're t talking about a business environment, right? The decisions around buying, we are making them in our language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, but I mean, even though you and I are bad examples, uh, I still have examples where also for me, uh, it has to be in German in certain cases. And especially uh, when I first moved to Ireland and um, whenever something got emotional at first, and I mean, beyond just swearing briefly, but really trying to explain a deeper emotion, it was very hard for me to put that into English. I had to adapt over time. My husband is Irish, so it's the only way I could communicate with him was English, right? But it was so frustrating. I, I did not like it at all in the beginning. So um, I feel like it resonates with me still on that level that the more and more personal it gets, the like, deeper it hits home somewhere, it uh, has to be in your own language, in your own culture as well, to take it one step further, right? Language mm. and culture, we know that, of course, is so, so close connected. Mm. Um, yeah, that's why... and or. That's why also for me, it's still important that my, my husband also speaks some German because there's always otherwise a part of me I can't show him, even if we perfectly communicate in English. But that's kind of not the point, right? It has to go a step further than that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's extremely personal. And that is the case we, we wanted to make with, with the study we ran. We called it uh, the pro Project Underwear. Um, going back to what we were saying about the, the maturity of the companies and... Um, at some point, they they need to face the realization that uh, they want to connect with uh, with their users, and and they know this even before they start thinking about language. You, you see all of those ads and how people want to reflect the values of the user and want to connect with the user and speak to the mm -hmm. person's emotions. Uh, they already know this 
but they do not uh, add language into the equation. Um, so inevitably, yeah, they, they, they come to the point where, we, where they need to consider it. And do you think sometimes that is also because of what you already said, um, that we take language for granted, that that's why maybe if you're not working in this industry, that sometimes it's not the first thing on people's minds because, well, you know, it's, we take it for granted or what do you think? This is more of a yeah, personal there, question rather than yeah, a research-based one. Yeah, <laughs> there, 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 might be, there might be some of it. I mean, if I'm looking at it from a business angle, then a, a company's logic of wanting to make money and generate revenue in, 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 a, in a target market, which uh, eventually this all boils down to that one fact. Um, uh, the, the business element there is, um, Oh my goodness, I, I'm drawing blank. I lost my train of thought, but uh, <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, yeah, what, what was your question? I'm sorry. Oh, I just said, do you think because that sometimes people who aren't part of the language industry, um, they might not think about language because we take language for granted all the time? I, I, I understand now what I, I, I remember now what I was going to say, and, and that is that Language is difficult to quantify in terms of business metrics that mm. uh, companies reason in. Um, you know, and you can create formulas for them going to grow my user base and I'm going to have so many clicks or uh, click through rate of X and so much engagement. And, and it, there's all, always a ways to transform that in, in some sort of monetary value. Mm -hmm. But if you think about language, it's, it gets murkier a, a, a lot quicker. Like how, and this is a lot, something that uh, language professionals and, and those who are in this business struggle with is how do we justify the return on investment? And, and I, for a lot of mm -hmm. these companies, I feel it's, it's because it's not obvious. It's an opaque equation. Like, okay, what does investing in language bring me? Then that may be conditioning the way they approach it. Yeah, and actually, um, so we talked to a lot of um, localization buyers as well, right? We have this uh, Lessons in Localization series um, that uh, we published on NIMSI where we talk to uh, companies and how they approach localization, um, you know, from the buyer perspective. And um, now I kind of lost my train of thought. Uh, damn it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, uh, something that you said last day triggered something for me. Yeah, the, the business decisions and, and how considering language and localization may be opaque. Nice. Like, how do you relate that to figures that speak to business stakeholders? Yeah. So what I really liked from our lessons in localization series is that um, there were a bunch of companies we talked to who were a bit more uh, mature, maybe on that side, who... Um, when we asked them maybe about what is the return on investment for you and their main goal was just the, the customer experience, like what you talked about, connecting with their customers so that it wasn't as closely about monitoring purely the um, the sales and, you know, what, yeah, you, what are we putting in and what are we getting out monetary-wise, uh, monetary but that for them it was all about connecting with the customer, like a really customer-centric approach. And to me that speaks to a more mature approach uh, oh, yeah. when it comes to localization. Uh, absolutely, and we were talking about the maturity of the companies, like, there, there is this realization that it's it's about the experiences you want to create, and, and this is one of the elements I had on that first slide of mine. I was saying like it's it's a it's a crowded market. There's a lot of companies vying for our attention, even though there are millions of us. And I'm 
kind of using the us as individuals as end users there's so many of us but there's so many companies and you want to stand out and how do you stand out is by making that connection and right. yeah. and brands already have that reflex but it's it's in, in the discussions we've had and the lessons in localization are a good example of, of the series we're running at Lindsay is that a lot of these companies were a step ahead they are trying to see how can you integrate language and and the, the language element the translation element the localization element into the overall let's make sure the the user experience is as as good as it can be and and that's where a lot of work and a lot of effort is concentrated for these companies mm -hmm. yeah because if you if you think about it like you said there's there's an abundance of of everything really yeah and so if a user is confronted with a choice of, I don't know, I have two companies more or less offering the same thing and one is in my language and one isn't, well, then, you know, I'm going to be lazy about it and choose the one that I understand right away rather than the one where I need to make an effort to sort of figure out what it says. And especially if it's, I don't know, I'm sitting on the couch in the evening, sipping my glass of wine while I'm trying to watch something, right? Everyone's double screening these days. And then I just want to, well. yeah, yeah, in my underwear and <laughs> I want to find a product. And then, you know, I don't want to, like, I'm already splitting my attention. I don't want to have to split even more. And, you know, I want something that speaks to me right away. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's, and we haven't even touched on that on, on our whole attention span it, it dwindling down, you know, like the of us as individual users, like there's so many, impulses coming from all of the sides from buying for our attention is the apps is the it's a television it's you know what have you um so it it's it's the easy way out as as users to kind of uh, default again into our language and uh, this is and, and you made and you touched on this and the, this was one of the slides i had there if you can flip to it tucker the third one um was that uh 91 what we found is that 91 of users will get more interested or would get more interested if they understood what it is about that you're trying to sell to them right which makes sense right you want to know what you're buying i mean yeah, <laughs> easily you know it's your money right uh 20 exactly. bucks is 20 bucks and you want to invest them <laughs> smartly most of the time uh right so yeah um yeah, there's certainly the elements of that, that 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 you want. It's just a no-brainer. You want to understand this. Yeah. And this is what the data tells us as, as well, right? Sometimes I look at these figures and I'm like, whoa, such a huge figure. And at the same time, it's like, yeah, like you said, it, it should be a no-brainer, right? Of course, people would want to understand what they're buying before they buy. I mean, that's usually at least a smart buying decision, um, mm. right? So it shouldn't be a big surprise. But yeah, were yeah. There, actually, speaking of surprises in the research you've done, was there anything that you found that you found surprising on, on the one end or the other? It, it doesn't matter, but yeah, that, that's, your, that's your trick question, right? Um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there were a few and, and I was going to hit on that, but this is a nice segue. You asking the question is that, you know, we've been making the case here that you got to go with the native language at the same time. I, I want to say, I want to nuance this saying like, Sometimes, and again, sometimes it might be good enough for you. Like there may be use cases or there may be countries where English is plain cool, right? It's the cool language. Hell yeah. <laughs> and if you're already in Germany. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to unmute for that. Hell yeah. 
<laughs> so, and, and there's this element, something that we found and I can kind of relate to as well. And being from however bad an example I may be, but being from Central Eastern Europe, um, traditionally, and we've gone through stages, uh, different stages in, in the country's history and my country being Slovakia, where we've been part of the USSR and the, the language of instruction has been Russian for so long. And then when the, the, the country gained its independence, there was this collective push and rejection uh, towards all things Russian. So all of, all of a sudden, like Russian practically from one day or another stopped being taught at school. Um, and if, if it wasn't Russian back in those days, the second language was German. So starting with the 90s, it was all about English. Like English was the cool thing. Like you just needed to do English, right? And it, something that, that we found during the research as well was um, that for, for a lot of these countries and like Slovakia, what we found was Lithuania and Latvia and, and these countries in, in more of the eastern parts of Europe, um, when we were asking the respondents to our surveys whether it's okay for them to buy in English. And they were like, yeah, pretty cool. You know, like we don't mind. And it, one of the reasons there is, is that English is cool for people, especially the younger generations who kind of grew up on all of a sudden content being available in English mm -hmm. and learning English and being exposed to the Western culture. There's also the element of, but that doesn't, to me, that does not explain it all, right? There's also the element of, um, it, there was this influx of foreign capital and Western capital, and a lot of the times English speaking capital, right? Um, so if we're talking about e-commerce, a lot of the times, and it's, it's getting a little bit better now, but in, in a bunch of these countries, like there's no, there's not that many localized shopping experiences. I mean, you go, you want to order something from Amazon in Slovakia, so it's still in English or in German, depending on which mm -hmm. language you speak better, right? In the Czech Republic, you're starting to have a Czech version of Amazon. Mm -hmm. But there's also the, the lack of alternatives and, and shopping experiences. So uh, the that's why I'm kind of saying like overall, right? Like the, the data is, is paints a clear picture like, yes, language, no brainer, go for it, right? At the same time, you want to pick your battles if you're a company which has only so much budget mm -hmm. to go with you. And this is all about you know, knowing who you want to target. Do you have different strategies for the market, different audiences in different markets? Mm -hmm. And also a, a hugely important aspect there is learning how to prioritize content for localization. Like you do not need to go all in you can just maybe get away with the core user experience, customer journey type of content, which which needs to be in the in the native language. But there's elements that can remain in English. And that's also, I guess, why you need to really look at every individual market that you want to go into, because even things like the English proficiency index, which is a data point yeah, that shows you how well people speak English and uh, in a certain country, um, even that is not enough of an indicator sometimes because like you said for example in the um former um ussr uh, countries um they're i'm sorry i keep messing up the name because it's of course different in german and here we go you know i know it better in german but um anyway in like the czech republic in slovakia um that um maybe english came in later but people are a lot more accepting of it yeah but uh, then at the same time so i don't know what the english proficiency level is there right now but mm. 
people often like I'm I'm German. I live in Germany now. People are like, oh, Germans speak English really well. And on the English proficiency index, I think we're fairly high. I don't know exactly, right, right. but well, even here, I mean, first of all, also, you know, um, well, at least the eastern part of Germany also did not have English until the 90s, right? So that's a big part of the population. They also learned Russian, um, and then you have like even Germany is a weird market on the one hand it English is really cool yeah so everyone wants to speak English and we even have products like like this yeah uh, oopsie a mobile phone in German uh, we call this a handy yeah which doesn't make sense in English but German uh, English is so cool that we just make up English words for products sometimes just to make them sound cooler at the same time though Germany is one of those markets where you should really offer your product in German if you want to reach people. So it's it's not always as black and white when you just purely look at the data without really looking deeper into the market. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a comment I make, make make a lot of times. Like it's, you know, the 91% almost forget about it. Like the one I just mentioned or the nine users out of 10 that I mentioned at the beginning, just forget about it. You You need to go beyond that number and really understand your target audience. There's so many elements. There is the English proficiency, and based on that, you would assume that Scandinavians, you know, all they care about is talking in English, right? But no, they don't. Um, same for Germans, Dutch people, and so on. So English proficiency. There's also the history and tradition of the countries. Like I mentioned, the example of of the Eastern kind of European sphere, right? But India is another fascinating example where. And, and there's this colonial history where, for so long, English has been the the the, the language of the of the of the empire, practically, right? And it's still a socially kind of well viewed normative thing to be to be conversing in English. So there's the elements of culture, tradition, history, and all of that kind of blends together in in what it is that like what languages you use. But to, to your point, and, and, and this is a fairly kind of recent take, I, I was just um, interviewing a, a buyer side personal localization manager at, uh, at an IT company last week. And uh, she made a very interesting point that stuck with me is that um, probably English can get you so far in that you have the, you know, in countries like maybe Germany or Scandinavia, um, you uh, you tolerate English and you can get by with it, but if if a company has a product which uh, requires a deep knowledge and understanding of of the of the product, and you have the power users and you have the you have the subject matter experts, mm -hmm. uh, at at one point English will not be good enough, and when they are kind of you know going to, into this high level of instruction and knowledge of the product, they will want to learn it and master it in their native language. So that's that's what that's what she was telling me. Like their practice was, with certain elements, it was good enough to have them in English, but when they were starting to get into the user manuals and the knowledge base type of content training videos, like no, that needed to be in, in German or Dutch or whatever it was. So there's layers yeah. and layers to this. Yeah, exactly. So as, as soon as it goes deeper, and I even recall, like, and it's not just about older generations or, you know, people only started learning English later. Like we just said, you know, maybe English in some uh, regions only uh, entered the 
in the 90s yeah but uh it's also like some of my um friends or people i went to college with who all studied languages yeah and who were generally super hyped about languages there were nights where we wanted to watch a movie and everyone was like "Ugh, can we just watch this in german i just want to relax you know it was like i don't want to really use my brain that deeply right now i just want to chill so please give it to me in my language because i want to exactly. you know lie back and not have to work so hard with my brain right now <laughs> yeah exactly it, it just was, was and that's a very very valid argument like it's, it's just mentally draining you know to be to kind of wield different languages and speak and think in different languages it, it requires for for most of the people and it requires a whole kind of different mental effort to to get the jokes to get the cultural nuances and whatnot and and i and i had that as well like it was when i was in france back during my study days it was it was cool to with our group of friends to watch english movies because that was fun and you know people had a had a had a kick out of un, trying to understand what uh, what it was about but then they were like, at, at, after some points on a booze infused, infused <laughs> evening, like, no, let's just watch French movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is you're bringing it back into the business world as well. You know, you might get by on your um, your business call, your meeting in English, and then afterwards you walk out of the room maybe and you go, you know, now I can finally speak in my language again. And it's easy. Before it might still have been fun and everything, but, you know, you had to work harder at it. And you don't want to work hard when you're buying something, you know? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the times when, I mean, this is this is not, uh, what I'm saying is not backed up by any kind of data, but it's, people are looking for simplicity, I would say. You know, you want to, and yeah. oftentimes you want to reach a decision quick, quick enough. You want to get the gist of it real quick, uh, not overthink it. Um, and in, in such cases, language or the, you know, if you're, if your company addresses you in, in your native language, that hits home much quicker. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Not to mention even like for me, I mean, um, again, bringing this home to me right now, but um, for example, something that really hits home with me is not just uh, when it's in German, but when it's in my regional dialect, like mm. that is like, I will almost immediately buy, you know, like it's just yeah, if you address yeah. me in my regional dialect, then I'm hooked, you know, a, a product from my region. Um, like that is something because that's really where my cultural connection is not so much i don't identify with the overall big german culture but with my regional one yeah i do and that is very very personal and so i love anything that is like localized into my little trash dialect that we have in this region <laughs> we're known for being a little trashy i have to admit but that's what i love about it as well as my peeps you know yeah. so um yeah so yeah, i a, think it's even more personal again yeah. yeah that's a very good good comment and and this is something we have actually data for as well at, at mimsy uh we're oftentimes we're kind of when we're talking about this and even the the topic of of this conversation is english good enough we're kind of assuming the direction of the discussion is english to language x right yeah but let's let's just kind of remember that english speaking users are also users and customers right so it also you know goes in other directions like french to english or german to english japanese yes. to english so these people they have the same exact same kind of view and problems right so to speak mm -hmm. so one of the one of the things that we asked during when we were doing the research is that um, uh, how receptive were uh, people in different english speaking countries like ireland or the uk canada australia to companies using or playing with with as you mentioned the 
the different variants of languages um, like mm -hmm. British English, you know, in the US or uh, or maybe Australian English in Canada and so on. And it, it was pretty overwhelming, like the 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 sentiment this, uh, feedback was that users appreciate it. More than half of the users were, uh, I think it was 53% who said, yes, it, we like this. Like they, they, they view it positively if a brand makes that kind of effort. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, because you reach people differently in different markets, even if they speak the same language, right? Um, like we said before, also um, in the US, it's <laughs> okay, we're just gonna, just gonna go there. And we, you know, it's more like selling dreams, right? It's all positive adjectives and whatever with mm. other markets i don't know this is again germany now it's more like facts and data you know like being cliche here but it's kind of like that it's a little bit different also you know i lived in ireland and if a u.s company came in with their way of selling like the way they sell in the u.s the irish would i don't want to speak for all the irish but they would also go like Ugh, you know all these buzzwords from the u.s you know exactly. like that <laughs> it's like it doesn't hit home yeah, I, I have another example that I very much like, and that's because I spent so much time in living, studying, living, working in France, is that so uh, everyone uses the stereotypes, right? Baguettes, beret, you know, that uh, Eiffel Tower, that's that's the cliche when, when you're talking to a Frenchman. Um, but, it, and, and, and generally, they, the French are not very enthused about the use of this, this stereotypical kind of uh, imagery but at the same time, uh, it, when, when we ask them, um, they, they like that when this is done smartly and in a, in a, in a respectful manner, if mm -hmm. brands are able to incorporate that into their messaging or their, their videos and their advertisements, it, those have success. They, they like mm -hmm. what makes them French, so to speak, like yeah, the French. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I can relate to that a little bit also from the German side. I don't like all the cliche, cliche of the Lederhosen and vice versa and blah, blah, you know, people would assume, oh, what do you miss most in Germany, Sarah? Is it beer and sausages? And it's like, no, it's bread. It's definitely bread. <laughs> Ask any German abroad, it's bread. The answer is always bread. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but aside from that, you know, we often the main cliche that's associated with your country is not something that uh, you are that proud of or that you can associate with at the same time. Yeah, if someone does it in a smart, funny way or in a clever way, then it's kind of cool again because then, but then you also realize that they take it a level deeper, right? That they understand that and then they can really connect with the users. Um, but yeah, I liked something you said earlier as well that we, we tend to assume that English is the default and then that we go from English into other languages. Yeah, and that often is the case, unfortunately, you have to say as well. But, um, you know, and I don't know if you've had that before. People sometimes ask me if I'm a native speaker. And I'm like, yeah, a native speaker of German, though. You know, I am a native speaker of a language. Yeah, just exactly. Not, I yeah. assume you mean an English native speaker, yes? <laughs> so, no, I'm not. But, you know, even like in the, the way we're having conversations, and then if you bring that into business as well, in a lot of cases it is English to something else and then again to something else. Mm -hmm. But um, in conversations we've, we've had, especially for the NIMSI 100, um, talking to media localization companies, there's a lot happening in Asia, uh, not just in the media area, but that's, I, I remember some conversations from, from there where they're saying there was a lot more demand now for Asia to Asia content. I think this probably relates to other industries as well. And that there was a new challenge coming with that of finding the right translators as well, because so far, usually the default would have been, again, taken 
Asian language X into English and then that into Asian language Y. Whereas, of course, ideally you, you lose a lot going this extra, you know, angle and uh, also costs more, of course, you know. So I think we'll see a lot more demand for like going in between languages Absolutely. Are, like, without the English step. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it's, it's reasonable to expect the, the, the volume they're growing. This I, I have my own kind of personal experience. This like ten years ago when we were I was I was in the video game localization and MMOs were all the rage. So those big online multiplayer type of games with thousands of people in them, and they are still big, uh, but maybe people are talking about them less than ten years ago. Now it's all about mobile games, but mm-hmm. um, a, a hotbed for this type of this genre of games was Asia. So a lot of Chinese games, a lot of Korean games or Japanese games, mainly Chinese and Korean maybe. And I I remember talking to clients back then about uh, can you translate from Chinese to Korean or from Korean to Japanese for us? And uh, us Western localizers, we were like, "Eh, yeah, sure, right? (laughs) So... um, we were we were kind of dodging the questions then it, it wasn't it was never straightforward mm-hmm. um and and i don't think that has changed much the demand is still there but this to me like shows the the whole complexity of wanting to retain the cultural nuances and if you're going from korean yeah. to english and then from english to japanese you're losing you're losing artifacts along the way right uh, in the, in the language Absolutely. Like you would lose so much. And then again, and, and you have the extra business cost. You're doing it twice, you know, you could just do it once. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, we have one last slide. I think Tucker pulled it up earlier already. I don't know if there's still, um, do you still want to say a few words about that? Oh yeah. Game? I mean, we can, can bring us home? We, we can, we can, you know, use it to, to guide us support, right? Um, yeah. Localization. I mean, that's the takeaway. Localization can convince users language mm-hmm. uh, having having content available in your language that is that is a very convincing argument uh, on, on this graphic here what we're showing are the d- different levels of acceptance and um, of interest let's say depending on which country you're in um, and the availability of something in English as opposed to in the native language so you'll always need to take a measure and and market by market audience by audience approach but by and large and uh, yes uh, language helps drive user engagement and ultimately you driving you know growing user engagement that that is a that that transforms into sales and in business environments that is what companies are now doing this for charity right so there's always a monetary figure attached to it uh so yeah localization can drive sales and so this graph right there it's uh the question behind it is uh would you buy a product if it's only in english yeah and then it's no it's unlikely i buy and it's likely yeah, I buy. yeah 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 so you see the different levels of tolerance there uh and and as we were talking about the the english level proficiency english language profession proficiency you kind of you know ponder that as well you see the Asian countries not being very receptive um, if they see something in English. It's it's all about that user experience, about the mm-hmm. customer journey, and and a lot of these companies are insisting more and more on that. It's the impact you're making, it's the experiences you create, and 
that that is one of our takeaways as well is language is absolutely part of those user experiences that you create absolutely um maybe for a final thought before we sign off for today um i might be putting you on the spot so i'm sorry <laughs> but you know what you signed up for gabe yeah so, okay. um <laughs> I, I knew what to expect yeah yes. uh, pardon well, Oh, I have a question behind that. Sorry. Oh, okay, um, that was just my warning statement to you. So um, relating this to uh, translators, also interpreters, um, maybe more translators in this case, I guess. Um, what does this mean to them? Because we talk about the industry, we talk about business, and behind all of that are many, many uh, linguists. Uh, so why is this important for them? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. Um, what I what I like to answer to that is it, it, it's, it's about translators and individual linguists understanding they have a vital role to play in this ecosystem. So many times we're just talking about businesses or brands and then users and revenue and growing the user base. But it, linguists have, you know, they, they have a very, very vital role in ensuring that even happens. And so there is the, there is the element of uh, understanding and and awareness that yes that is the case that the data shows that users are more receptive engage more with localized content but who is behind that those are the you know those are the hard workers of our of our industry uh the translators the interpreters who, who make this happen so yeah that's that's my answer to that uh you're a vital part of of our ecosystem and be mindful of that don't do not forget that Perfect. I like these as the closing words. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for the conversation, Gabe. This was a Anytime. really lovely conversation and uh, yep. we don't uh, spend enough time, um, you know, chatting about these topics. So it was great to have you as a guest today so that we can, uh, you know, use this time to have a real conversation. Um, maybe we'll have you back soon. Um, for now, yeah, um, we'll be back next Monday, uh, a new guest uh, at Last Week in Localization, and I'll be back here. And yeah, see you. Same time, same channel. <laughs>